0: Warning, this podcast episode contains explicit content, including swearing, discussion of sexual violence and rape, and other adult content.
1: Welcome to Crow Club, a Shadow and Bone and Verse podcast. In this, we'll be covering all of the Verse, and it will be full of spoilers. No, really, there will be lots of spoilers. We'll be talking about the original Shadow and Bone trilogy, the Six of Crows duology, the King of Scars duology, season one of the Shadow and Bone Netflix show, and even Demon in the Woods, The Tailor and the Language of Thorns. We'll be covering a character, topic, arc, or wild conspiracy theory in each show. So bust out your tinfoil hats and join us.
2: We're a group of three friends who spent years reading the books in the verse and discussing them together. Our group chat passed over 5,000 messages in the month after the book Rule of Wolves and the Shadow and Bone Netflix adaptation came out, so we figured we should get some live talking and we'd love for you to join us for the ride. My name is Anjali.
1: I'm Kat. And I'm JJ. And today we're talking about Kaz.
0: As mentioned, today we'll be talking about Kaz Brecker, the so-called mastermind
1: of the Crows. And to start with a quote that beautifully summarizes Kaz, being angry at Kaz for being ruthless is like being angry at a stove for being hot. You know what he is. And for the name fun fact this episode... Kaz's name, we found a couple different meanings, so according to thebump.com, it is a name of Slavic origin, keeping with the Ravka bit, and it means famous destroyer of peace. According to the Grishaverse wiki, and a little bit of confirmation googling, Kaz means flaw, imperfection, or defect in Slovak and Czech. What do we think of that name? famous destroyer of peace did not make as much sense to me as flaw imperfection or defect. One of the things about Kaz that comes up repeatedly in these books are how he uses his flaws or imperfections to his advantage.
0: I think for me the famous destroyer of peace part maybe could allude to how he takes what is peace quote unquote in Ketterdam AKA the merchants being able to do what they want. Kaz is there always as a thorn in their side, keeping them on their toes. Maybe he's a destroyer of their peace. So let's discuss Kaz in the books.
2: Kaz Brecker is the head of a Ketterdam gang called the Dregs. Even though the leader is technically Per Haskell, Kaz is the effective leader, and he's the mastermind behind the gang's rise to success. He's very scrappy, he's self-made, he's ambitious. He appears to be very cold, aloof, and exacting, or at least he likes leaning into that reputation. We find out that a lot of what drives him is his hatred of a man called Pekka Rollins, who years before had scammed Kaz when he was an orphan who just arrived in Ketterdam, and Rollins' treachery ended up causing Kaz to effectively lose everything, including his brother. Kaz is known for walking around with a cane and always wearing a pair of leather gloves, which earns him the nickname Dirty Hands.
0: In the show, we get to see Kaz prior to the events of Six of Crows, but for the most part, it's the same Kaz we know from the books. He's already caught feelings for Inej in the show, and as we've discussed in other episodes, is more obvious about those feelings than book Kaz, but by and large, he stayed relatively true to the Kaz that we saw from the books.
2: Yeah, I would say his the fact that he lets on to his affection for Inej is the bigger difference for me. But one of the plot differences is that he puts up the Crow Club to Tanta Helene in order to sort of stake Inez's freedom to be able to go on the mission. And I wasn't sure if Book Kaz would have necessarily done that. What do you guys think?
0: Mm -hmm. I guess it's hard to know for sure. But I think, Anjali, that you're right that Book has had a serious problem with anyone understanding how he felt about Inej. And it's hard to see him doing that, I guess, uh, putting up the Crow Club, because that would be such an obvious, like, she is my weakness, in a sense. Yeah, the point of view I was
2: coming from was that I really see Kaz as obviously hiding his feelings publicly for Inej in the book, but I think he tries to deny them to himself a little bit. Like he tries to be above feeling for her. And when he constantly reminds her that she's an investment, it's almost like he's trying to tell himself that. And so I could see him... Having a harder time putting the Crow Club, which is basically everything he worked for, on the line so easily or as rapidly as he did.
0: I think my general impression of Bookaz was that he was aware of his feelings for Inej. He knew even when they had started, but he so believed that nothing could or should or would ever happen that he did everything he could to hide it from everyone else, including Inej. That's true.
1: I thought it was interesting, the flashback where he kind of fell for someone else in the dregs. I don't remember her name. Let me see if I can find this.
0: I think what's interesting about his feelings towards Inej is he always thinks of them to himself as his weakness. And we should touch on this more later, but who does that remind you of? but the Darkling, who talks about how wanting is what makes us weak. I'm looking to you, JJ, to correct the
2: (laughs) quote. I did good. Like we said, Kanej is the Darklina we deserved.
1: Okay. Yeah. He'd been 14. Imogen was new to the barrel. She touched her hand to the sleeve of his coat. He thinks about her later. He knew what he was expected to say. And he just next time she smiles at him or reaches out towards him he just really stares her down and is really cold about it and kind of ends it exactly there. I I don't think the text supports the idea that he had fallen for Inej before buying her contract from Tinta Helene. He didn't really know her but it is interesting that with Inej he could shut it down. Like, we have seen him do that before. And even though he tries to repress it as much as possible, he doesn't take a lot of these outward steps that he that he could.
0: Yeah, I think the backstory is that he was really impressed that Inej could sneak up on him. And that's why he decided to take her on. But he specifically falls for her when she's sitting in the window in the sunlight, which is afterwards. I do think, though, what you're pointing out with Imogen is that Since he knew he had feelings for her, but he, again, believed that he couldn't, shouldn't, wouldn't do anything about it. He made it so that she removed herself from the situation. And that's kind of what Anjali was saying, what he does to Inej in many ways to put her in her place and kind of push her away. The difference is that she doesn't really let him do without calling him out on it.
1: So Kaz has a terrible rest of his backstory as well.
0: Yeah,
2: for sure. He and his brother, Jordy, their father died, and they came to Ketterdam, the big city, to try to make a living. Pekka pretends to be this like kind, fatherly figure who's running a coffee shop, but also is like a stockbroker, and he knows about this promising investment. The investment turns out to be a scam, and they lose all their money. They grow really desperate. Geordi contracts the plague, which was going around the barrel, and Kaz nearly dies himself and he's put onto this barge of dead bodies in the bay and he has to basically float on them to safety, which leaves him with a significant amount of trauma and specifically like a real revulsion or, or fear of being touched afterwards.
0: So I think one thing that's also interesting to mention in his backstory is, like you mentioned, he's not from Ketterdam. He's from the countryside. They sell their farm to come, and that's what makes them a mark to Pekka Rollins. But after the plague, when he escapes this funeral barge, he considers himself reborn. And from that point forward, he tells everyone that he's a product of the barrel. He leads everyone to believe that he's born and bred in the barrel, and he kind of completely leaves behind
1: his actual identity. And what we see from that backstory that so much of what he does in this book is driven by the desire to never be a mark again. He's like, I don't want to ever be a mark again. I'm going to be the one who does this to people, which is a little bit of an interesting origin story. It's essentially a villain origin story. This Mm -hmm. is something terrible was done to me. I don't want it to happen to me again. So I'll just do it to everyone else.
2: Yeah, it's actually interesting you said that because when I was first watching Shadow and Bone, the TV series, and when they introduce Kaz, he does actually come off as kind of a villain in the first couple of scenes if you haven't read the books. And I was wondering if new viewers to the show would think that Kaz was evil or is someone we were supposed to be rooting against.
1: Yeah, I think Lee Bardugo really likes writing characters like the Darkling. I think Kaz is very similar to the Darkling. They both have their own moral codes that are internally consistent for them, even if they do not seem like things that are moral to other people. We've talked about Kazan and Ej and kind of how that relationship is a little bit like Alina and the Darkling. But I think especially, especially this, like he is aware of his flaws and he makes really good use of them. At the beginning of Shadow and Bone, we might have been able to say something similar to the Darkling about his relationships with the other Grisha. Also, they both have giveaways involving their hands which I thought was really interesting. The Darkling wears gloves. By the time it's Shadow and Bone, that's like a little bit of a, maybe an affect or writing gloves sort of thing. But we know that him touching another Grisha with bearskin skin put his life in danger as a child in Demon in the Woods. And Kaz also wears gloves. There's this very similar sort of Thing going on for both of them, but we are in Kaz's head and we know what he's thinking, and we're supposed to like him. We're supposed to understand him in a way we were never in the Darkling's head to understand him.
0: I'm laughing because of the until rule of wolves. <laughs> oh, gosh.
1: Yeah, until rule of wolves, but that's, yeah, Darkling episode part two.
0: If we're going to talk about the parallels between the Darkling and Kaz, I'm curious what you both think Kaz's driving motivation is, because we know that the Dark Lanes is supposedly saving Grisha and then, as JJ would say, retconning, save Ravka. <laughs> What's driving Kaz besides his love of money? Safety. His hatred of Pekka Rollins. And you think safety for him is achieved
1: through like financial stability? I think by and large the financial stability and having his own gang mm-hmm. so that he can't, kind of what we see in Crooked Kingdom where Per Haskell tries to really pull the the crows out from under him in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because he's such a mastermind and in many ways so sullen and solitary that he's always working with a crew. He really is rarely alone. And when he is alone, we actually see him get attacked and kidnapped at some point. So you're right that he absolutely depends on having his crew around him, even if he would hate to think of it that way.
2: I thought it was really interesting because I think these really are the driving motivations for him in the duology. But at a certain point at the end of Crooked Kingdom, he achieves both of these goals to a certain extent. He gets his revenge against Pekka Rollins. He makes a lot of money. And then Nikolai needs him for a job in Rule of Wolves. And he isn't really able to motivate him with money. He's able to motivate him by promising Inej's safety. And so I think having his love of Inej be a motivator, it really shows the the growth that he's experienced.
1: And we see that at the end of Cricket Kingdom, too. He buys her a contract from Pear Haskell and just gives it to her. He buys her a ship. And he finds her parents. These were all things that are hard to justify as an investment or something other than genuinely loving her. He's really finally able to think, to spend that time thinking about what are ways that I can show Inej that I want to be there.
0: What's also interesting to me, like you were saying, he seems to get over the fear or desire or motivation of becoming richer, which is kind of interesting because a lot of times when you have people who grow up in poverty, there's this scarcity mindset that they can't
1: overcome even as adults where it's still really hard for them to spend money. One of the things that I thought was really interesting at the end of Crooked Kingdom, Pekka Rollins believes that Kaz has buried his son alive, which by the way, this is what a villain does, right? This is even letting someone believe that. It, whether or not you do it, this is what a villain does. Kaz.
0: It is like, whoa, who would think of this? But it's also supposed to be, at least this is my perception, somewhat badass-y in a sense. Like He lets nothing stop him. He'll do whatever it takes to win.
1: But what I actually found surprising was that Inej forgave him as soon as she learned it was a bluff. That, that struck me as surprising, given how horrified she was that he would do it. She seemed to only care that he would do it to the child. She did not care at all that he would do it to the parent. And that surprised me.
0: I know this is a Kaz episode, but it does surprise me how much Inej is willing to forgive or at least move on from Kaz's actions. Because again, at the beginning of Six of Crows, when she thought that he was burning down their fellow dregs' girlfriend's home, as soon as she found out it was just a threat, she was over it.
1: Yeah. So, Pekka Rollins' son buried alive threat. What Kaz wants from Pekka to tell him where his son is buried is for Pekka to remember the name of Kaz's brother. That surprised me. It's obviously very personal, and the revenge that he is kind of motivated and driven by is clearly personal. But wanting Pekka to remember Jordy's name, I wasn't sure exactly what he would get from that.
0: My take was that he wanted Pekka Rollins to remember Jordy's name because it would mean that event had significance to Pekka Rollins too. That it wasn't just like one more day of work to him if he actually remembered the victim and it stood out to him in some way.
2: Yeah, I would say that scam that Pekka played on them it ruined everything in kaz's life it was everything to him and if it was at all memorable to pekka like i think it would have been more forgivable for kaz but if you just ruined my entire life without even it making a mark on you then that's like a different level of hatred that you deserve
1: do you think he actually thought pekka might know geordie's name oof that's tough
0: Who knows what goes through Kaz's mind, even when we're in his perspective (laughs) chapters.
2: I think realistically, he didn't necessarily expect him to, but he gave him a chance to redeem himself.
1: Redemption. Salvation. Bagra's quaint ideas. Mercy. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: was just thinking that it's also possible that now Kaz is the only person in the world who remembers Geordi. And it, that's painful to him to think that nobody else, that he doesn't leave any sort of legacy behind besides Kaz's memory of him. So maybe he wants or he needs it to mean something to Pekka Rawlings too, in kind of a perverse way. Oh, I like that a lot.
2: No, that's a great point.
0: I mean, I think there's something like really tragic. This is getting deep now and it's a little sad, but there's something really tragic about the idea of you having a loved one who's passed away that no one else remembers or that you know is carrying on the memory of them there's something so lonely and sad about it yeah and no grave
1: or grave marker either
0: so cass is supposed to be the mastermind of all the plots do we think this is actually believable or how do we feel about the way he plans each of their various schemes and plots
2: I've thought about that because it sometimes seems unrealistic that Kaz always manages to have a backup plan that's like pretty successful every time something catastrophic goes wrong. But then I thought about instead of viewing it from the lens of whether this fictional character is or is not realistic, maybe thinking about what it means, what Kaz's mind must be like to do that. I mean, his psyche is so so tortured. It seems like he's always trying to think of what could go wrong, what could go wrong, that, what could go wrong with that, what could go wrong with that, what could go wrong with that, and what could go wrong with that. Where are all my backup plans? And he just creates so many fail safes. And I, I just feel like that thinking about that gives, you know, a really interesting insight into what Kaz's mind we really like, where he doesn't trust anything. And I think the fact that he does always pretty much have a fallback plan kind of proves that to be true. And I think it just speaks to his lack of trust in anything and his intense desire to not be vulnerable, to be, as JJ said, like never be a Mark again. Like he's really driven by that compulsion.
0: I also find it interesting and maybe even surprising how unhinged he gets when anything goes awry in his plans. For example, I mean, the big example of course is Inej getting captured He really kind of goes off the deep end afterwards. I think there have been a few other moments, especially throughout the books. We don't really see this in the show because actually when they let Alina go, he doesn't get unhinged the same way I think he may have in the books or at least book Kaz would have. I don't know. I found that surprising.
2: I think that in the show, that is one difference between show Kaz and book Kaz where he doesn't necessarily seem to have all his plans in place as of yet. In the beginning of the show, when he's trying to think of a way to cross the fold, he doesn't have a plan. And he's just like taking stabs in the dark to try to figure it out. And Inej confronts him on it. She's like, I know you don't know how to cross the fold. I know you were just saying you have a plan, but you do not actually have a plan yet. And he takes a huge risk, which is like putting up his shares of the Crow Club And you'd think he'd have some sort of backup plan for that, but it's pretty evident later in the show. He hasn't thought that far, whereas I don't know if Book Kaz would have necessarily taken the same risks without some sort of cushion somewhere. But you're right. I think that Book Kaz never anticipated Inej being caught at that moment, and so he loses it. And so that's what backup plan Kaz is like when he hasn't thought of the backup plan. Like, that's probably drives him crazy for a reason, because he thinks he should have thought about that.
0: I know it's kind of a narrative, like a narrative device, in a sense, to not let us actually see Kaz scheming. We never actually, even in his perspective, get to see him turning through all these points, like you say he must be. Like I think he's obsessively thinking about both how to plan things out and when anything goes awry, I think he obsesses over it too. Like like you said, when Inej gets captured, he's like dwelling on the moment when he knew it went awry, when he knew he looked at Inej instead of trusting the crew
2: yeah i think one thing that happens in the show that kind of shows his obsessive planning is when they're taking the train across the fold and he actually is counting the time between i guess the markers already thinking to himself what if we have to cross on the way back without arkham like I'm going to memorize them, which I think is like an insane level of attention to detail.
0: You brought this up, but another good point from the show is when Jesper doesn't come with enough coal, I think Book Kaz would have been really pissed off at him. Show Kaz is like, okay, I guess let's roll with it. See what happens. Even though Arkin is kind of like, mm, I don't know if this will work. Book Kaz would have already had
1: more coal.
2: Yes, like. agreed 100%. <laughs> He knows he's a gambler and he knows his warning probably wouldn't have been enough. He would have gotten some more coal just in case and then given Jesper a lot of shit for it.
0: So let's talk about this. Let's talk about his relationship to the other crows. I think his relationship with Jesper is one of the most interesting ones to me where you're right. Shokaz is basically giving him these chances to prove or redeem himself or trusting him in spite of knowing that he has a gambling addiction. I don't think Book Kaz would do that.
2: I think Book Kaz would have given him a chance to hank himself, if that makes a difference at all. But yes, I, I think that there is yeah. a big difference in how they treat each
1: other. I was going to say, Kat, you were saying earlier that you're not even sure that Book Kaz ever forgives Jesper for what seems like kind of a legit slip. Yeah. It, yeah, I think... I found it surprising
0: that Jasper and Kaz started off six of crows seeming pretty close, as close as Kaz is to anyone besides Inej. It felt like, and yet when Jasper slips up, and to me it seemed like an honest mistake to me. I don't think Kaz forgave him. At least we never saw a scene in the books where, typically, even in the Grisha verse, I would expect there to be one of these sorts of forgiving moments, similar to what we talked about in the Hellnick episode. Matthias and Nina had a moment where they like reallied. Jasper and Kaz don't do this, and it feels like their relationship has deteriorated by the end of the first
1: duology. Please allow me to paraphrase the Darkling here. Always. <laughs> I hope you weren't expecting forgiveness from Kaz. It isn't one of his specialties. <laughs> <laughs> do you think... Kaz forgave Jesper, is there
0: something I'm missing? Was their relationship not as strong as I thought it was or was it irrevocably broken? I think that Kaz is always
2: looking for betrayal. And so he inadvertently got betrayed and from someone he didn't expect because I think they were close. And I think that makes it harder to forgive than an ordinary mistake. And I think that Kaz was cold to Jesper for a long time I think the thing that maybe restores their friendship is the kidnapping of Inej, which throws Kaz completely out of whack and it makes them kind of desperate. And I think also meeting Jesper's father, I think that has a real effect on Kaz, which maybe makes him feel a little more kindly towards Jesper and kind of forgive and forget some of or the mistake that he made.
1: Can I also throw out there that potentially the betrayal that Kaz feels here is really a sense of him having made a mistake, him having made himself the mark. I think he felt like he knew Jesper's weaknesses and could control them. He felt like he knew what he could count on Jesper to do in any situation and he misjudged here.
0: That is such a good point. I think that's a perfect answer. Much better than mine. It's scary. Can you imagine being friends with someone like that who you accidentally betray and then they never forgive you? He is
1: a villain. Like, this is what I'm talking about is if you make friends with villains, and I I thought this was interesting at the end of Crooked Kingdom, where Jesper and Wylan and Inej are all living together, and Kaz is not there. Like, Kaz isn't visiting. All of a sudden, there's this break. And people are okay with it. On the reread, I hadn't remembered that part. And that surprised me, the extent to which there really felt like that before and after Divide, and now Kaz is like not really in their lives.
0: I mean, in the reread for me, I think what stood out to me is that Kaz doesn't actually get along with any of the crows except Inej. Like Jesper up until this semi-betrayal Wyland, he's always a jerk, too. He just constantly reminds him that he's not even the best at possible, what they call a Demo, you're excellent at hostage. Uh, Matthias thinks of him as a demon, and basically they might have some sort of begrudging respect for each other by the time he dies, but they are not, I would not call them friends. I wouldn't call Nina and Kaz friends either. I think they are business partners, but I don't see a friendship between them.
2: I think that's true. I think that show Kaz, I mean, we've talked about a lot of the differences, but I think that he and Jesper are actual real friends. One thing that really struck me when I was rewatching the TV show is that Jesper actually seems to know about what happened with Pekka Rollins because he and Kaz have this very brief conversation where Kaz says he didn't remember me. And Jesper's like, did oh, you expect him to or wow. something like that? But I think that shows that Kaz confided in Jesper as to like what yeah. happened. And could you ever see Book Kaz confiding in anybody? Like I just can't.
1: Yeah, and certainly not Jesper. We see where he accidentally calls Jesper Jordy and Jesper's like, Who's Jordy? And Kaz is like moving forward from there. That's yeah, that's a big difference.
0: So I think one thing that we were touching on earlier is Kaz's
1: fear of touch. Yes. And this is huge in the book, right? This is something that from Kaz's perspective, we see coming up again and again, and we see it also from Aneja's perspective. So I did a little bit of research to try and figure out what is going on with Kaz's fear of touch. For years in the fandom, I've seen this called hafophobia. And I saw that Freddie Carter, the actor who plays Kaz in the Netflix show, read accounts of people living with haphophobia to better understand kind of how to play Kaz in the show. I myself have, I guess I'd call it localized phobia, And so it was very interesting for me to read Kaz in here and see what did and didn't resonate with me. Kaz, according to some Q and A's and some academic papers I read that actually cite Kaz Brecker as an example, has PTSD. And so I think there there are a lot of different things going on with Kaz. But on the reread, I was really trying to break down what are his boundaries, what things do bother him, what doesn't bother him, and if there are different things that are not necessarily related. So this is based on my reread, a little bit of research on the internet. One of the things we see is that Kaz occasionally gets panic attacks, he lashes out, he gets dizzy and once he even faints as a result of being touched. For me, that was super relatable. I I definitely recognized what he was going through when he was being touched and did not want to be touched. There are a few places that set this up in ways that are both obvious once you understand what's going on, but also just read as him as a character, it's a little bit of character development. So one of the things towards the beginning of Six of Crows, the narration says, no one went so far as to pack Kaz on the back, though. That was a good way to lose a hand. And I thought that was a really interesting way of showing someone being unfriendly in the sort of way where you pat them on the back, you lose the hand. But upon reread, it's pretty obvious that is due to Kaz's fear of being touched.
0: My understanding was that he specifically doesn't like the touch or the feel and texture of skin. You would think he's wearing clothing
1: when he was being patted on the back by his fellow Yes, And I think there are two separate things going on. I think hephophobia is one of them, this fear of touch. And I think the skin to skin, the, the fear of feeling skin is a separate thing because hmm. we see him react so strongly to being touched in so many circumstances. And at least in my personal experience, it does not really matter whether or not you're wearing clothing. I was surprised on the first read that Kaz could shake someone's hand if he was wearing a glove. And it doesn't seem to bother him very much. When he gets into the prisoner wagon to go into the ferreting court, we see before he even gets in there, he panics. And he will be almost fully clothed. And even though virtually all of him that is touching anyone else, they're all pressed up together, he passes out. Even though there's nothing in the narration that indicates that any part of his exposed skin is being touched. And so I think... To me that establishes pretty strongly just general hepophobia separately from this fear of touching skin i think it's actually to me and i don't have any
0: sort of hapophobia, but i do have some like texture aversion is it almost sounds like a what would you call it like like sensory issues like sensory or sensitivity towards certain textures and typically it's towards either foods or towards like clothing material. Like there's some, you know, children who can't stand wearing pants or certain cloth materials because of the way it feels on their skin. I've never heard of a human skin aversion, but I thought that's to me how I read the skin kind of fear or, or
1: aversion. Yeah, I, I do think it's something more similar to that. I do think it's separate from his hephophobia, which is interesting just partially because I never see them discussed separately. But Kaz's hephophobia also seems to be a little, there are some things that surprised me about it, like the fact that he can't go into a packed prison wagon, but he can walk through the streets of the barrel, where canonically, I'm gonna quote this, tourists jostle into you from every angle, and we never see this being a problem for him. It doesn't mean it's not, we certainly never see it being a problem. And also, he gets into a lot of fights. He <laughs> he starts a lot of fights. And that's something that also surprised me, given his fear of being touched. There are instances where he shoves his forearm up against Wylan's throat. He punches Jesper. There's a quote, he wanted to beat them all bloody and then brawl his way through the barrel. That's surprised me and I was wondering actually if there's more of a self-punishment feeling where he knows exactly how much that's going to hurt him even if he wins all the fights.
0: I kind of assumed it was just a adrenaline gets you through a lot, including fears and aversions. So I thought this was a great point that we made earlier around how important it is to him to be seen as the leader. And he knows that in a gang like the Dregs, you have to be willing to fight. So I kind of assumed it was just like he knows that this is an absolute requirement and he uses adrenaline to get him through any sort of aversions or fears he has.
1: He does in his narration, I think, say, violence was easy. What a villain. See? Villain. (laughs) This is
0: hilarious. I feel like this is the new theory of this episode, is that Kaz is actually a villain who we're tricked into thinking we like. title
1: of the episode, Kaz, colon, a villain, actually. So to transition a little bit, one of the ways that he gets into fights without touching people as frequently is by using his cane. And this really struck me in the first time he's alone with Matthias, and Matthias tries to rob him. Kaz, of course, anticipated this, and he just like smacks one of those, is it like a pressure point or something? And Matthias's whole arm goes numb. So Kaz uses his cane to commit some of this violence on his behalf as well. And Jesper. That's true. A
0: lot of people actually rely on Jesper to do some of the dirty work in the show, and Nez tries to get him to take care of killing Arkham for her. I think there's another scene in Six of Crows where there are Grisha in Fierda who are up on stakes of some sort and one of them is still alive and Nina can't bear to use her heart-rending abilities on him. So Jasper is the one who shoots him for her.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I
2: think another really interesting thing to mention about Kaz and his cane is that Lee Bardugo, the author, also uses a cane. I really appreciate that there's representation for people with disabilities through this character, but she uses it. In a way that's not, obviously it is somewhat of a weakness for Kaz, but it's a weakness he manages to leverage into something very empowering, both of his sort of physical and mental issues, I guess he manages to make assets for him. They play into what makes Kaz so scary and what makes him so powerful.
1: And we even see when Kaz has Genya heal part of his face after he gets the crap beaten out of him, he does not have Genya heal his leg. And that may have been because he couldn't stand for Genya to touch him long enough to actually heal his leg. But it also seems like it's important to him That he doesn't view it as something to be healed, and then he would be somehow better. That this is a part of him that's like part of who he is.
2: I think he sees it as something of value, even if, you know, it isn't obviously to the rest of society.
0: All right, so I think we have to talk about this. The Kaz versus the Darkling scene in the show. Obviously, this is not book canon.
1: So I was...
2: (laughs) Book Darkling would never... (laughs) (laughs)
1: Darkling would never. I want to relate this a little bit to a larger point that Kaz, like the Darkling, another similarity they have, is also overpowered. He is so good at everything. He does occasionally make mistakes, like the Darkling, but he is so overpowered, and so is the Darkling. And when you set up a scene where they're going to be fighting each other, the question for me... I saw fandom had been speculating extensively about the two of them meeting in the show. And I (laughs) did not want it to happen. Because I was like, they can't both come away from there looking true to the extent to which they're overpowered. They can't both look like they're in control of the situation. They didn't. So what exactly happens in the show?
0: So in the show, the Darkling catches up to Kaz just as he thinks he's got free and has escaped the other Grisha. Then Kaz throws kind of a flash bomb at the ground and is able to escape. We see the barrel next to him get cut. So it was clear that the Darkling was about to cut him down.
2: It seemed very unrealistic. I mean, I think the writers had to make Kaz be able to escape for the plot of the show. But I just I do not think that book Darkling or really even show Darkling could be brought down by a flash bomb like it's so easily tricked.
1: Yeah, especially if your power is darkness.
2: Kaz, who has a limp, needs to be able to run fast enough to have completely disappeared, which also seemed extremely unrealistic.
0: Which leads me to my classic question. Was it necessary?
1: <laughs> there, you know, Here's where Anjali should tell me it's actually a more nuanced question. Oh my god. I'll say there have definitely been things in the book's and I think this is an example of something in the show that felt like fan service. It was like fans want to see Kaz and the Darkling meet. It's kind of these two villains, right, meeting. And it was not necessary for the plot, for sure. But was it necessary for fans?
0: I think the only important part of that, that showdown scene that I didn't mention was the Darkling asks Kaz, where is Alino? Like, you stole her away from me. And he tells the Darkling that she was trying to escape from you. So he's the one who maybe fully breaks it to show Darkling that Alina ran away of her own accord. And then
1: he gets away. The Darkling could just like throw his little... What did he do to Arkin? Just threw a little shadow that like eats him or whatever it is off screen?
2: I mean, I guess you could make the argument that the Darkling is so taken aback and emotionally distraught at the fact that there's confirmation that Alita left voluntarily that he's bamboozled and not able to recover fully.
1: As you say, book Darkling would never.
2: I think that in the books had this scene happened, I do see Kaz maybe coming away, but I could see him verbally scheming his way out of it, maybe offering the Darkling something else that he wanted or trying to scam him or trick
1: him in some way,
2: I I don't see the flashbomb thing happening.
1: The other sort of overpowered meeting that I want to touch on a little bit is Kaz meeting Nikolai, or Sturmhund rather. So I will say that when I read Crooked Kingdom the first time, I actually cheered aloud when Zoya and Jenya and Sturmhund were on the page. I was so excited to see them. And talking about fan service, I don't mean to say like fan service isn't all bad. I I was thrilled to see them. And I did not think I'd get to. It was a beautiful surprise. They play a really important role in the book. And they're delightful to read. The three of them are just great banter. What I found as a fan of Nikolai first, I found it really disappointing that Kaz saw through his Sturmhund disguise. And I think he had to. And it shows in this book how perceptive and how in control and mastermindy and schemy Kaz is. But we kind of get the sense that this hasn't really happened before. I mean, the Darkling didn't see through Sturmhund's disguise. And he'd met Nikolai not that long ago. I think it was, what does Nikolai say? Like he hadn't seen me since I was 14 or something. So he was relying on that. But still, the Darkling lives with his family. Maybe he's even met Nikolai's biological father. But when I was reading that, I found it disappointing. I wanted Nikolai to be able to pull it off. And I was disappointed that Kaz saw through it, which I think is kind of the, you can't have it both ways. And this was Kaz's story. What I was not disappointed about was in Rule of Wolves, when Nikolai and Zoya land in Ketterdam and they're like, "Ugh," Kaz can't even be bothered to show up. And then he's like disguised as someone and like tosses it off later after he was listening to their conversation. That to me felt really, I loved that. I thought it played to all of their strengths. The stakes were pretty low. It let all of them do their thing.
0: I honestly actually didn't like that. I thought it was so hokey again that Kaz is disguised as this like old man or whatever tottering around behind them. And they're just talking about all of their plans and thoughts around Kaz and the gang in front of him. I thought it was weird. In Kirch. In Kirch. So you said something there, JJ, that I'm actually curious about. You said that Kaz is really perceptive. Is he? Like, do we actually think he's a really perceptive character?
2: I think Kaz is perceptive in certain ways. I think he's always looking for people's weaknesses. I think he's always looking for possible tells for betrayal. And I think that's what he focuses on always. I do think he has blind spots, certainly. And I think that when it comes to more positive emotions, like... um, romance for instance is <laughs> drastically unperceptive and I think we we see this in the scene on the boat with him and Inej and Inej is asking for Kaz to let down his armor and I think it's fairly obvious that Kaz reads that as like if you can't touch me like there's no future for this relationship whereas I think Inej is also asking like make yourself vulnerable to me even a little bit, but he can't read that. So, I mean, maybe that's not exactly what you're looking for, but, you know, I think the point is Kaz is very focused on what he looks for and what he perceives. So I think with Sturmhund, like looking for who this guy really is, not totally out of the question for me, but I think more holistic read of somebody, I think he might have problems with that.
1: Well, Kaz
0: figures out why Lynn is a Van Nack, he does, but he doesn't believe, Wyland
1: that his father would actually be willing to sacrifice him. Let's get into the lightning rounds. So how do you feel about Kaz as a character? I
0: think in the books, I didn't like him very much. I found it annoying and frustrating the way he treated the other crows, the way he continuously left them in the dark. Often it felt like for no other purpose than to punish them, like with Jesper. He was mad at him for betraying him. I thought his shame and the embarrassment he felt over his various fears and aversions was something that I was able to be more sympathetic towards. But really, overall, it was his relationship with Inej that made him actually somewhat of a redeemable character for me. I did like Shokaz more, actually. I thought he was more of a team player. I liked his dynamic with Jesper. And Inej, I liked that he included them on details of the plans and let them know about things coming, like when they were going to flush out Archon in advance. So show Kaz, more interesting to me. Also very well-dressed and dapper, which I appreciate.
2: I like Kaz. I think I go back and forth on him because especially Book Kaz is a very cold character. And I think to some extent, his flaws and the way he acts, as you said, like a complete villain, it's understandable because we understand what he's been through. At the same time, he is a person that lets his demons consume him and doesn't necessarily make an attempt to get past that for a big portion of the books. And I think that's hard to to root for to some extent. I think Shokaz is more palatable, I think without his point of view, chapters that we get in the book, they had to make show Kaz like a little bit warmer and more friendly and more trusting in order to gain affection from the audience and I think that worked. I also I really appreciate the uh, representation he adds to fiction as a person with disabilities that doesn't let them hold him back but instead leverages to them to make himself even more awesome. So I think as a character he's very interesting and I appreciate that Lee wrote him this way.
1: I think Kaz is a villain, and I think he's a great villain in the way of judging people in terms of, would I want to get a beer with him? Like, no, I'd be way too scared. But one of the things I love in writing is seeing different moral codes, being able to like really explore what that allows and prohibits, and how it interacts with other people's moral codes. It was so interesting to read about Kaz. I liked reading about a character that had half a phobia. I really liked his relationship with Inej and his dapperness.
0: Why do you think he's so popular? My sense is that the internet loves Kaz. Like loves me even more maybe than the Darkling.
2: I think maybe because he doesn't have any special powers. Like Grisha do and yet he manages to be so cunning and get so far I think because he is more self-made and scrappy he is kind of more relatable.
0: Okay I think that's a better answer than my somewhat cynical take (laughs) is that people just love characters who are somewhat of like masterminds and figure out all like the plans like these are just such a popular like archetype it feels like Especially movie characters, but book characters too.
2: To be honest, I think part of the reason people probably like Kaz is because Kanej is a really interesting relationship. And I think some of Inej's awesomeness gets rubbed off on Kaz because they're dynamic. One quick plug for our listeners. I really love this Big Red Machine song featuring Taylor Swift that just came out recently. It's called Renegade. And I think it's amazing. A song just generally about being in a relationship with someone who is experiencing mental illness, anxiety, things like that. But it really struck me as I was listening that it has amazing parallels to Kaz and Inez's relationship, and it almost seems like it could have been written from Inez's point of view. So if you haven't listened, you should.
1: And according to the internet, you're not <laughs> the only one who thinks that.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so
0: shall we do our kiss, Mary kill now? So this week's options are Kaz, Kuwei, and Alice Van Eck. <laughs>
2: Okay, I suppose I'll go first. One, we have historically always killed Kaz in Kiss, Mary, Kill, and I feel like... <laughs> too cruel to him to do in this episode so i will save him i will marry kaz i I feel like maybe we could have a non-physical companionship i I know he gets tossed in the kill pile because of his (laughs) oppression to touch but he's clever and he's interesting and we could have lots of conversations and he's ambitious so uh hopefully will be well taken care of in our lives. Kuei is a flirt, and I love that about him. I thought his attempts to woo Jesper were really hilarious, and so I'll kiss him. And Alice is <laughs> way too chipper and way too annoying, so she's getting killed.
1: Oof. Bye, Alice. Okay. I, I also think it's mean to kill Kaz in his own episode. I'm going to take the controversial stance of kissing Kaz, whatever that looks like. And I think just as any sort of kissing, there's consent involved. And so I think figuring out what that looks like with Kaz and what it doesn't look like, fine. We'll do that and we won't kill him in this episode. I'm going to marry Alice, because <laughs> I think I could just send her off to a lake house with Bhajan, and she'd be happy, and then I can kind of do whatever I want. And, controversially, I know parts of the fandom really think Kuwe's is one of the underrated characters. On Reread, I thought he was overrated. Didn't like him. Wow. Occasionally funny, but I actually, I thought his flirting was, like, too aggressive, and especially at times when it seemed obviously unwanted, so... And mostly because I can't kill Kaz, so bye.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am struggling on this one. I don't have any problems killing Kaz in his own episode. (laughs) I do think for me the kiss portion I guess I kind of think of it as like a seven minutes in heaven esque thing where you two are sent off to a room by yourselves presumably you're kissing or hooking up, but if you're not interested you're just in a room together and I think Kaz could like do something interesting, like teach me how to pick locks or something during those seven minutes, which is, that seems like a cool skill. On the other hand, I am one of the ones who thinks Kuwe is an underrated character. When I reread Crooked Kingdom, I definitely, and here's another controversial opinion. I think Jesper should have gotten with Kuwe instead of Wylan. So I quite like Kuwe. I think we could have a lot of fun as life companions, even assuming he has zero interest in me physically. I would be okay, I think, being life partners with him because I think we could get up to a lot of fun shenanigans together. That said, I'm not against marrying Alice. I like that she's so like disturbingly almost honest at times. For example, at some point, I think, I don't know if it was Kaz or Matthias makes a joke about her marrying a prince and she's like, Oh, there's no need. Like as long as the merchant is rich, that's what's important. And I kind of really like that line made me laugh or like that she was so uh, earnest and serious saying that. So I think I could probably get some unintentional humor living with her, but I think it would be kind of like a Pride and Prejudice Mr. and Mrs. Bennett sort of situation, which doesn't seem net good in the long run. So I guess Alice is getting offed for me too. Thanks so much for listening to our episode. If you enjoyed it, please like, subscribe, or leave us a review and rating.
2: And if you have any feedback or ideas for us, please write to us at crowclubpod at gmail.com.